19. Gospel according to Luke chapter 19. Now you will remember that all the way back in chapter 9, Jesus, remember this, set his face to Jerusalem to go to the cross. And when he sets his face to Jerusalem, nothing is going to stand in his way of going to this cross. Not his disciples, not the crowds, not Rome, not the Jews, not the Pharisees, no one. Not even Satan himself is going to stop Jesus from going to the cross. He has his mind made up of what he is going to do. And yet, between chapter 9 and 19, those 10 chapters, we see Jesus passing through certain places, don't we? We've seen him heal people. We've seen the blind see. We have seen interesting parables that arise out of where he is passing through. And our story today originates in this same sort of going to the cross and yet passing through a place called Jericho. Notice these words here as we stand for our gospel reading in Luke chapter 19. We'll start with verse 1. Hear these words as these are the words of God to us. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus, which we're just going to say Zacchaeus because we're from the south and this is what everybody says around here, right? Anybody say it the other way? It's probably Zacchaeus, but we're saying Zacchaeus, okay? He was a chief, notice that, tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. Because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Jesus, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you now take this word and make it living in us. We pray in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to see Jesus? You know, uh, years ago, I, uh, I wanted to see Drew Brees. So I went to a Saints game, and I got to see Drew Brees, you know, down there on the field. But what separated me from him was quite a crowd of people <laughs> and kind of probably some security guards as well, right? And I really had heard that, that Drew Brees was this really good person, you know, guy, like in real life, not just a good player, but that he actually was kind of a good dude, you know. And so I thought, man, you know, he's my favorite Saints player, and I would love to meet him. And so, you know, 
I tried at the Saints game, but he didn't make it available. You know, he just kind of ran into the locker room, and that was it, right? But I went to another game with Jessica, and it was a preseason game, okay? So I thought my chances might go up that I get to meet him here, particularly because it was in Nashville, not even a Saints. So I thought, man, if he sees a couple of Saints fans here, you know, he's going to take notice, maybe come over, I can, I can meet him, you know? I mean, that's possible, right? And so Jessica and I go to this game, and, and afterward, you know, I run around. She didn't really run or follow me in this way, but, but I ran around until I found out where at the stadium, you know, the, the, the players come out. And so now I know they're going to be in a bus or something like this. And so this little bitty short bus kind of thing pulls up and there's Drew Brees. And he acts like there's a, a crowd of Saints fans that are there, okay, cheering. And so he actually tells the bus, he says, stop. So he gets out, starts out. I said, boy, this is my chance. You know, this is it. And I'm at the back of the crowd, unfortunately. And so he signs a couple autographs. He's doing a ball here and a shirt there. And then somebody says, hey, man, we got to go. And they literally kind of pull him back into the van. And I'm standing in the back of the crowd just like, oh, man, I was, right, I was from here to summer right here on the front row from Drew Brees. I mean, I could see his facial hair, you know. I mean, I was that close, right? And yet, boom, didn't get to meet him and uh, missed my chance. But a few years later, you see I'm being persistent, right? <laughs> we heard about a story about that a couple weeks ago. Um, I was being persistent. And look, I knew that Drew Brees was going to be speaking at this event that I was going to in Arlington, Texas. And so I went by myself this time and went all the way over there. I go to the event, and there he is up on stage. Again, I'm one of 11,000 people at this place, okay? Uh, so he's not out there saying, hey, Marshall, how you doing, buddy? You know, <laughs> we'll catch up after, you know. I'm going to have to figure out a way to get this to happen, you know. And so he's up there speaking with all these other athletes. And I knew they were drawing to an end. You know, when you do speaking publicly and all this, you know when somebody's trying to land a plane. And so here he is trying to land a plane. And I'm like, all right, this is my chance. So I get up. Nobody else is getting up. I get up and I go outside and I start running again. I run, now this is not just a stadium. This thing was about as twice as big as the stadium. It's one of these event centers. And I ran the wrong way of where I needed to go, but I just kept running. And it's, it's dark, it's cold, I have only a t-shirt on, and I'm just running. And I'm looking for where he's going to come out. Because, you know, all those athletes, I know they're going to have a ride. They didn't drive their self there, okay, they don't live there. And so I'm running, running. I'm about out of breath. I finally find all these blacked out cars with these dudes in black suits, you know, standing around. I said, hey, is this where the athletes come out? They're like, uh, we're not really supposed to say anything, but yeah, this is, this is it, you know. So I'm like, okay, cool. Well, there was one other couple beside me this time, okay. No big crowd. It was another couple that was married, and they were saints. I said, Yo, y'all here to try to see Drew? Yeah, okay, good. Well, you got to know, like, I really want to see him, and I've missed him a couple times now already. And so when he comes out of this door with a bunch of other, you know, Colt McCoy and all these other kind of people, you know, they're out there just talking like this. Here's what I do. Drew Brees, who that? Drew Brees, bro, what's up, man? You know, I'm doing this. And the couple's just kind of like, wow, this dude's getting serious, you know? <laughs> now, that's kind of out of character for me, to be honest. Like, I don't really just do that on the street. Jessica might if she sees somebody, but that's not the way I, but I had missed my chance, you see? And I wanted to really see Drew, I, I wanted, I'd actually brought a peewee football with me, okay, that I wanted to, you know, him to sign. Now, my phone was dead, unfortunately, and I didn't have a um, marker, okay? But the couple did. <laughs> they came to the rescue on that. And so I, he came up. He said, hey, I'll be there. 
minute. So he comes over, he signs my ball, I get my famous picture with him, you know, and I actually get to meet him right there, shook his hand, and, and I, was, I was pumped, you know, I was, my ball and everything. Well, he got pulled away for just a second because uh, the other couple was waiting for, for their signature, but they had taken a picture of me with their phone, you know, so here I am like, ooh, I got in there first, and so he was about to get in the truck. He kind of forgot about that we were back over there. He was going to get in the truck with him and go eat. And I said, Drew, 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 remember, remember the couple here, the couple here. And so I not only got to meet Drew Brees, but I shared Drew Brees with others. And like, hey, hey, buddy, you're like, come back over here. Because, man, I wanted that picture to be sent to me on my phone, you know, even though it was dead. But I also was wanting to share Drew Brees with them, too, you know. And you can see the correlation here. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And he had probably heard. Now we're told a couple chapters before this that that tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus and he was known then by the Pharisees in a negative way as one who befriended tax collectors. Now remember, this guy is a super tax collector. He's not just a tax collector, he's the chief of tax collectors in his area. Which is why the comment comes from Luke afterward, well, he of course was rich. Because that's what happens when you're the chief of tax collectors and all the tax collectors are rich, you are super rich. We're talking about super elite, except not elite in society, but only by money. As far as society is concerned, he's super scumbag. Remember last week, we talked about the tax collectors kind of being the scumbag of the earth. Well, he is super bad and not liked by people uh, because he is not only working for the man, but he's working for the opposition and the ones who are oppressing us. And he is taking money that should be going to God and giving it to the Roman government, even though he's a Jew. And they're doing all kind of nastiness with it. Sound familiar? They're taking our money and they're doing all sorts of evil with it. And people didn't like that, of course. <laughs> and so he's a chief one of these guys. And what we're told is that the crowd kept him from seeing Jesus. So, in other words, here he is. He wants to see Jesus, but a crowd is going to obstruct. Now, this is not the only time a crowd gets in the way of someone seeing Jesus. Do you remember in Mark 2, the man who is paralyzed, being brought by his four friends to see Jesus. What happens? He's in a house. The house is packed out. Even the outside of the house is packed, and they're not able to get in. And so they just go home, right? And he never gets healed. No, 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 no. What do they do? They go up on the roof and do whatever it takes to get this man before Jesus, which in this case was tearing up the roof and lowering him down, even before they had elevators. And he lands right before Jesus. And he gets healed. And he gets forgiven of his sins. He's considered a child of God. Well, Zacchaeus probably had heard that Jesus was befriending tax collectors. And that just didn't happen if you were a Jew and Jesus was a Jew. And not only that, he was a prophet. <laughs> and he would expect a barrage of you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that. This is not what he gets, is it? Instead, he has to, in order, because, you know, really, there's two things working against him here. Not only the crowds, but remember, he's also short in stature, what we're told. 
Now, remember, in the ancient world, best we can tell, they're even shorter than most of our average people in America are, okay? So this dude's, like, really short, okay? He's short compared to us, but he's really short even in his own time, which is super short. So not only is he a super tax collector, a super sinner, but he's also super short. And so he knows that even if he's able to kind of get in the crowd so he can kind of get close in proximity to Jesus... He knows he's not going to be able to see anybody. He's going to have the view of a child, which is not going to be helpful. So what we're told is he starts running. Now, anytime in the New Testament, particularly, you see someone running, that's going to be important. The resurrection story has people running. Remember John and Peter, they're running. Uh, you've, You've got just a few chapters back, remember, the father who, when he sees his lost son, what does he do? He runs. Okay, this is, and again, it's improper for an adult male in Jewish society to run, okay? It'd be like seeing, you know, our president or some official or like a judge running. If you saw them running with their stuff on, with their regalia on, you'd be like, what, what's going on? Like, something, something's really big happening because he shouldn't be running. Well, here, Zacchaeus, probably dressed to the nuns, I imagine, because he's rich. And that's what you do. And he's that part of society for these people. He starts running. And he runs ahead of the crowd, we're told. And then he does something even more bizarre and childlike. And that is, he starts climbing a tree. When's the last time you climbed a tree? Now, if I asked the guys who were in here a little minute ago, it might have been yesterday, right? And maybe some of our younger people, it might have been a week or so ago. But, like, for me, I honestly can't remember the last time I climbed a tree. I mean, I have in the past five years, I know, but... It wasn't very high, (laughs) too old for that kind of stuff. And I didn't have anything to prove, you know, uh, at the time either. But when's the last time you climbed the tree, right? It's just not. So he's doing two things that are sort of out of order, kind of reminding me of myself with Drew Brees in the middle of the night on a cold night in Texas. Drew Brees, you know, I want to get noticed so that when he comes out, he's not just going to get in a car, which could have easily happened, and say, hey, guys, see you. Great to be with you, you know. No, I want him to stop and not just pass by. Don't you get the idea that Zacchaeus was like that too? He ran ahead, climbed a tree. This is a sycamore tree, so we're not talking about some big oak tree or something like that. It's a smaller tree, but it branches out. So he probably, I assume, picture in my mind, is he's hanging over or sitting over the road on one of the branches, one of the lower branches. All right? and Which means, like, Jesus has to come by And he looks up, we're told, so he's not just this level. He's got to look up Zacchaeus. Now, I would have freaked out if Drew Brees would have come out of there with Colt McCoy and these other guys and said, Oh, Marshall, I've been waiting for you, man. (laughs) That's nuts. He's not going to do that. He doesn't know me. But here, Zacchaeus, noticed, had planned a meeting with Jesus. And now he finds out that Jesus had planned a meeting with him. Because what we're told in the Bible is before you were even formed in the womb, he knew you. He knew me. And so he, unlike our celebrities, unlike our elites, he knows our name. Can you imagine? The king of the universe. The one who created physics, okay, and mathematics, and the human body, and the things that we enjoy in this creation. That we literally take a vacation just to go look at the ocean 
or the mountains. That God, that creator, that maker knows your name. Hallelujah. Can't, I mean, something in us should stir at the least, shouldn't it? He knows our name. And, and here's the funny thing about Christianity. <laughs> we always think we're looking for God. And what we find is he's looking for us. He is, as the great theologians have pointed out, the great hound of heaven. You see, all the religions of the world seek after the gods or the divine or the unknown, the noumena. But we in Christianity know that God seeks after us, doesn't he? We're told as much. He came to what? Seek and to save the lost. Can you imagine him searching for you before you ever even knew he was your maker? This is kind of the picture we get here with Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus. Now, other people would have known his name in negative ways, but Jesus speaks his name in a positive way because he says, Zacchaeus, hurry down. You notice that? That's interesting, isn't it? Now, like, I want somebody to point out, like, read the Gospels and see how many times Jesus is in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. In fact, his disciples are in a hurry often. Like, hey, man, when's it going to be time to eat? We're going to go ahead and pop into town here and get something to eat while he's at the well. They're in a hurry. Jesus is not in a hurry. Have you noticed that Jesus is not in a hurry in your life? Like, you're in a hurry. <laughs> Lord, I want to be more like you, and I want to do it uh, in the next 30 seconds, if you don't mind. Eh, that's not really the way it works, is it? <laughs> Lord, I want you to do this, and uh, sooner rather than later, be honest with you. God is not in a hurry. And we should learn from this. Our anxiety would probably go down if we realized God's not in a hurry, and neither should we be. We live in such a fast-paced society, and rah, 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 kind of go, go, go. That we need a Sunday where we slow down, where we get to be in the same room with those we love, where we shake hands and really look into the eyes of each other and say, brother, it's good to be in the house of God today. Sister, it is good to see you. And likewise, it's good to be seen, isn't it? Zacchaeus probably risked a little bit out there on that branch. Because quite frankly, they could have strung him up on that branch. And oftentimes in the Bible, trees are used for judgment. And here he is hanging off a tree here. And they see a serpent, don't they? <laughs> they see Satan himself. Oh, look at this guy up here. He's just trying to get the best view. He's already got the best house in town. Best clothes. Now he's got the best view. Jesus, look at him. And, and we know how Jesus, like he's going to pass him by for sure. But no, Jesus stops, looks up, calls him by name and says, hurry up. Let's go to your house today. Don't let Jesus pass you by in your life. Don't let Jesus pass you by when he's passing through. You know, even in the garden... The very beginning, we get set up how God wants to meet with us. You know, yeah, God is everywhere, of course. 
but there are certain times where he wants to meet with us, right? You remember in Genesis? We're told, when was the time? In the cool of the day, right? In other words, God didn't just say like, hey guys, I want to just kind of hang out all the time here with you and and then, uh, you know, make you a little stuffy by me being here always. No, he said, I want to meet with you a particular time in the day. That's going to be our time. That's going to be our time, is in the cool of the day. And in fact, in the Hebrew, it's really the windy part of the day. Because that term ruach is actually mentioned there, which is the spirit time of the day, so to speak. It's the good time of the day when we can breathe in God's spirit that he breathed into us in the beginning. The very reason for our being. You see, God did not create because he's twiddling his thumbs before creation saying, man, I'm just really bored. No, God is perfect and self-sufficient, needing nothing. So he doesn't create us so that we can worship him because he needs us to worship him or to glorify him because he needs us to glorify No, no, no. He doesn't need anything. Not anything. And yet, he creates. And yet, he loves. And yet, he chooses the good for us. He wills the good toward us. And even when we go astray, guess what he does? He comes looking for us. What a God. And not because he has to. It's because he wants to. He loves us. And it's out of a super abundance of his love and grace that he creates anyway. It spills over. The father loves the son so much that the love they share is the third person of the Holy Trinity, who is the flame of love, the Holy Spirit, who is breathed into us. So we were created for what? Love. To love God and to love others. And the only way we can do it is if we have love himself living in us. Because John will say it this way, won't he? God is love. It's not just something he does. It's who he is. And here is a display of that kind of love. Now, he wasn't just short physically. Most interpreters throughout church history have really seen this in two ways. He was physically short, but he also was spiritually short. He was coming up short. He was missing something. He was one of the lost ones. And remember, just a few chapters back, chapter 15, we get three stories of lostness. Remember? Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And in all three stories, we see who God is. He is the seeking shepherd, remember? Seeking out, willing to leave the 99 to go after one. And then we see the sweeping woman who's sweeping the whole house, turning the whole house upside down to find one coin, just one. And then we see the father running after his son in the son's response back to coming home. You see... Jesus is on a mission. And if you say to yourself, man, I really, really wish I could see God. Where is God? Why don't I see him in the heavens? Well, that's not really where you're going to find him. Just hanging out in the clouds? Not yet. You see him in the heavens, everything's over, so let me know. Okay? Because when he comes back, he's breaking open the clouds. And so like, hey, just bump me because I'm, I'm supposed to go up with you, okay? Okay. Um, <laughs> 
and uh, we'll all go up to meet the Lord in the air, is what the scriptures say. Okay? No, no, he's not going to be just found in the heavens or in a tree. You know where he's going to be found? In seeking to save the lost. In the lowest places in society. The lowly people. People like Zacchaeus. Who are willing to humble themselves. Come out of that tree. What does he do? He comes out of the tree. <laughs> and then he starts giving all his money away. All his riches away. Because he will do whatever it takes to see Jesus and to share Jesus with others. If you want to know where Jesus is in the world, he's in the prison working. He's in those who are going through sickness. Why do you think we make a big deal about people who are sick? He's in those who are grieving. He is in those who are in poverty. He is in those who are being oppressed. That's where he's going. And if we want to get in his path, if we want to get in his way, so to speak, so that he sees us seeking him, then we too should be about acts of mercy, acts of what we call piety. These sorts of things are channels, if you will, or some have called them means of grace. In other words, these are pathways of holiness. And who is God? In our prayer room before this... Uh, Pastor Bruce prayed, he is holy and we are to be holy. And guess what? There's a highway of holiness, isn't it? And on that highway, there's the blind, there's the lame, those that are paralyzed with addiction, paralyzed with anxiety and fear. There are those who are blind to the enemy's work in their life. They are not our enemies. They are victims of the enemy. And we should remember that because Jesus is going after them. And if we're going to be in his way and join him and follow him, it is a way of holiness. And holiness does not look like goody two shoes, it looks like getting your hands dirty and serving others. So I ask you, do you want to see Jesus? Are you willing to pay that price? Are you just willing to give an hour or so a week or maybe a couple minutes a day? It's going to require your whole life ultimately. Now, at first, he just wants in the door. Because you see in the story, he's coming to Zacchaeus' house. I want to come in your house. And don't we have a house, we're told in the Bible? This is our house. This is a living house. All right? And when we receive Christ in, oftentimes we want to keep him in the living room. Hey, just sit right there. Let me, uh, let me serve you. Let me do these things. Uh, I want to, let, me, let me clean up this room over here. You know, when we have company, you know, our house is no more cleaner than when we have company. Anybody else with me on that? Like, you know. Everybody's going to have to help because so-and-so is coming over, you know. And we got to clean up, right? And we feel like that with God. That, that's our initial response. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, let me, let me clean this up. Hang on just a second, Jesus. Let me, now you can come in. <laughs> now you can come in. We've got it all wrong. He wants to come in and tell us what to remove. Not us trying to clean up our life ourselves, but he wants to, 
hey, why don't you get rid of this? Let's go ahead and get rid of this. We're going to knock out that wall right there because what he's doing, C.S. Lewis kind of had this famous analogy in Mere Christianity, is he's, we, we think he's just kind of building a little quaint home for himself in us. No, he's building a palace. He's building a saint of God in you. That's what you were made for. That's your destiny. And don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. In fact, Lewis has this, this great, C.S. Lewis again, has this great image. He says, every person you meet is no mere mortal. There's someone that will live for all of eternity. And everyone you meet is either headed to being the most nightmarish demon or the most beautiful, glorious saint. There is no in-between, friends. And when we get into eternity, it's only accelerated in both directions. Because the Bible says, when the end comes, let those who are sinning continue sinning. And those who are righteous continue in righteousness. So when we look around the room, we're going to see one another one day down the road. And it'll tell the truth of who we're following. If we're following Jesus, who is going to the cross... Because even Zacchaeus, if he's going to follow Jesus, isn't he going to have to go on into Jerusalem? Isn't he going to have to meet his own cross? For Jesus calls us all to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and what? Follow him. But the two prerequisites are necessary, aren't they? Where are you denying yourself to run after Jesus at all cost? Where are you taking up your cross to follow him? It's not going to be an easy thing to follow Jesus. It's never meant to be. If we're wrong and misaligned, he's got to readjust us. Yes? That's not always a happy process. <laughs> you got a broken bone and they have to set it. Ugh, I don't want to have to do that kind of stuff. It grosses me out. There's people in the room that can do that easily. Just snap it into place like it's no big deal and eat breakfast, but not me. Okay? Jesus is all about healing, isn't he? Is not he the great physician? Are you on that highway of holiness? Are you willing to climb a tree to get away from the crowd? What sort of crowd is holding you back in your life? What sort of crowd are you going to have to push through or find another way or run ahead of, excuse me, or run out of to see Jesus? When we were children, Justin and I went on a family vacation to Atlanta to see the Braves play. It was our first time to go see them play in person. And one of the days, we went to the water park that's there, uh, Whitewater, I think, or something. And, you know, we were walking around and walked by the kiddie pool, and Justin said, hey, there's Greg Maddox. I was like, what? Greg Maddox? That's my favorite pitcher, you know? Pitcher's Greg Maddox. You, you, some of you may remember him. Some of you may not. And there was some reliever that was with him as well, and they were playing that night, you know. And so I look over, and sure enough, like, he's over there laid up on a lounge chair, you know. <laughs> Doesn't look like anything like a, a baseball player at all. Um, and, and Justin's like, I'm going I'm to go over there. And even though Greg Maddox was my favorite baseball player, I didn't go with him because I was scared. Here I am, a little kid, and I thought, man, he doesn't want a little kid to go over there 
and like mess with. I mean, this is Greg Maddox, right? He doesn't know us, and he's going to be annoyed that we come over there. That was, that was what my thinking was. And so literally, I stood around and kind of walked away and waited for Justin to go over there because I didn't have it in me to approach Greg Maddox. And some of us can get that way with God. Some of us say, ah, he, he just doesn't, I just don't think he cares. Now, we might not say it, but we live like he doesn't care about us. It's going to annoy him that we failed so many times already. But can I tell you, don't miss Jesus when he's passing by. He will surprise you by calling out your name and say, I already knew you were coming, child. Come on in. Let's go to your house. Let's clean it up. Let's get it ready. Let's start giving everything away because it's all mine anyway. It's all mine anyway. We think it's our house, don't we? But Paul tells us clearly, this <laughs> is not your house. It's God's house. It is a temple for the Holy Spirit. And so we don't get to do what we want to do with our body, with our thoughts, with our actions. Instead, when we are his and he is ours, they all become one. He moves in, and the house becomes one. So don't let the fear of coming before God or, I don't know if he'll forgive this. I don't think he can do that. I don't think he wants me to come in around and ask him once again. Here I am dealing with this thing once again. I, I know he doesn't want to hear it. No, he does. He is a forgiving God. And when he comes in, a whole new character is coming into your house. Just realize that. That's counting, counting the cost. When, when Jessica and I got married, I was coming out of a bachelor life of living in a dorm room for five years. Anybody ever lived in a dorm room for five years? You're like, man, I think you added a year there, bro. I did. I did. But it, thankfully, it was master's work, and yet I was still in a dorm <laughs> saving money. But let me just tell you, living with a bunch of dudes or living by myself is very different than living with Jessica. My life improved by living with her, but I had to learn some things. Like cleaning up after myself, not laying stuff around everywhere. And I'm still kind of working on some of those things. Amen? Amen, you know. Um, but I've come a long way. And you know what? We, we, we can live together pretty good. We're kind of pros at it. And the longer you walk with Jesus, the longer you allow him to work on the house, rebuilding our character, making a palace for him to live in, brothers and sisters, it becomes joyful to serve him. It becomes joyful to pray to him and meet with him in the word. It becomes joyful to forgive others, and it just becomes a joy. Do you have that? Is he in? Is he in here? And if so, have you resisted his rebuilding, which we call sanctification? making holy? Have you resisted that? If so, today's the day where he says to you, he says, hey, hey, come down, come down, remember? Come on, let's, let's go back to your house. Let's go. Come on. Let me in here. Let me do my work. And then let me set you to sharing others about me. Inviting others home. 
Yeah, Drew Brees would never call out my name, but Jesus calls yours today. Do you want to see Jesus? You can. He's not hiding. He's not hiding, but you've got to meet him on his terms. He is seeking to save the lost. Are you? I pray you are. And if not, repent today and believe and get on the path. Join us. We'll do it together. We'll do it together. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.